Kia ora, I'm Jen Black and welcome to The Short Read. This week I'm joined by Kitty Solomon who won the Emerging Māori Writer Award in the Sunday Star Times short story competition. Later on you'll hear her piece, Ao Tui, but first let's hear from Kitty herself. Kia ora Kitty, how are you? Kia ora Jen, good thank you, how are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself. What's your writing background? Have you always been a writer? Is this something that you've just picked up recently? Yes, it's interesting, actually. I um, So when I was at school, I enjoyed writing, but I was told I wasn't very good at it. So, you know, that sort of sidelined it for a wee while <clears throat> and then ended up um, not doing a lot of writing at all, apart from in different roles, a lot of government roles. So that's a different type of writing. And then um, finished a PhD a couple of years ago where I felt good writing. And so um, when I saw, and I love reading, love love reading, love stories. I mean, the whole idea of Purako and um, being able to transmit knowledge and information and uh, through stories is just something that just really, it's just amazing to me. So uh, when I saw the, um, I think it was an advert for the short story competition and saw that Witi Ihimaira, who is one of my all-time favourite ever, ever writers was judging it um I thought you know what I might give it a go and I've been trying for a little while to uh, find a medium um to communicate some of the learnings I had gotten out of the research I had done particularly related to Maramataka which is the Māori Lunar Calendar so I thought maybe it was uh, a sign from that or that we could mix the two together. Hmm. What was your PhD in? So it was in emotional literacy uh, I was using um aspects of Mātauranga Māori and Maramataka Māori to help people learn how to both identify and manage their emotions. Um, and not a lot of stuff in Aotearoa, really, around that, particularly um, aimed at the people that we were working with. So our research whānau were second-chance adult learners who, who you know, I, I want to say they're normal people. They weren't part of the business set to use emotional literacy stuff for different purposes. So, um, yeah, so we used... Maramataka aspects, Matauranga Māori, a cup of a Māori approach, as well as um, some of the Western stuff to build an emotional literacy program. Cool. Mm. And just as a little tease for our listener, what's the story about? Our Tui is a um, is a story about connectedness, really. Tui is a um, mature lady. My husband thinks it's autobiographical, but it's it's not. <laughs> I'm that stage, but it's not quite as autobiographical. Um, and is how she connects to um, herself, to her taiao, to the environment, particularly using maramataka and the different phases uh, through a, a monthly lunar cycle. Just as a bit of background, what's the connection to maramataka, the phases of the moon and the lunar cycle and emotions? That's your research, correct? Yeah, it is part of my research. It's um, very much grounded in the idea that uh, we're all energetic beings uh, so the moon exerts an energetic effect and affect on all of us, and the tides are the most obvious example of, of that happening. And, you know, as human beings, we're all between 60 and 70% water, so there has to be an element there that um, that sounds true for me. Um, the idea is that essentially with the higher, the high energy days are on the full moon day, so we're in Arako Nui. Actually, today is Arako Nui. It's a, it's the, the, you can't see it in Auckland because it's cloudy again. Um, but it's a full moon here. So on full moon phases, traditionally, there's higher energy. And so with those higher energy phases, that, um, particularly around things like gardening and fishing and, and some of those agricultural processes. But 
from an emotional perspective and from an internal perspective, um, there's also different energy energy and um, emotions, I suppose, associated with the high, the full moon phases, and same thing with the, with the new moon phases or fetal phases, which is no moon. So, um, yeah, it's there's a whole lot of amazing people doing great work, particularly on some of the social media sites like Facebook and Instagram around Matamataka and how to use that to um, help you navigate your emotions experience throughout the month. And it's very individual. Um, so yeah, it's different people have different experiences of the different Matamataka phases. But in essence, each phase has an, en an energy associated with it. And for some people, they use that as a way to kind of help navigate their emotions well. I'd personally never thought about it like that, but it makes so much sense when you talk about the fact that we're 75% water and the tides are controlled by the moon. So why why aren't we as energy um, beings? <laughs> Some people kind of go, it's a bit out there. But our Tipuna knew for hundreds of years they've used the moon. and So it's not just, you know, the moon, the lunar calendar is associated with the solar calendar and the stars, as Rangi Matamua talks about all that sort of interconnectedness. But this knowledge has been garnered over hundreds of years and it relates to even the water tables and, and you know, what's a good time to pick particular vegetables to be kumara for if you want to dry them. They've got a higher water content if you pick them at once a certain time versus a lower one so you don't want to store or try to dry the ones that have got the higher water content because they're rot. So it's all of that stuff that, you know, we had to learn if we wanted to make sure that we survived. Yeah. Just passed on and passed on. So yeah. And I think Matauranga Māori in general is amazing because it has this capacity to be able to be applied in different contexts. So those models can be placed in different contexts and used in a way that actually works. So hmm. Kelda. Um and so I'm assuming a lot of your research and things is what inspired you to write this, but what was your why behind writing this? Why did you pick up the pen and start writing? I feel for me I needed to be able to Put the information out that had been gifted to me in a way that was slightly different and not kind of repeating what other people were doing. I wanted to find a way to share this knowledge because it's been gifted to me in a way that there's that inherent requirement <laughs> to pass it on. Yeah, the Kaimatu I worked with, Kaimatu Ariata Makiha, is an amazing, amazing, beautiful, gentle, honest, helpful man. And his idea is, you know, if you do, knowledge is there to share because it benefits people. So putting pen to paper with our two we was to try and maybe put that information into a space where people might read it and the interest gets piqued and they start to look at it a little bit more with other people that are doing it in other, other contexts. It's just been a really amazing and, and quite a humbling experience to be in this position because I know there are a lot of people that entered. And I guess for me, it just reinforces that whole idea that putting this information out in this form was probably an, uh, a, good, a good way to do it at this point. Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um... The importance of information through stories is something that Māori have done for generations. So you're kind of creating more stories to share your knowledge that you've learnt, um, which I think is beautiful and just amazing. And I think it really shows that the judges really thought that this was an important piece of kaupapa, an important piece of work. Is this the first piece of uh, writing that you've uh written recently? Is there any other work that we can look into? <laughs> Only if you really want to read a PhD thesis. And I, um, so there's a bit of, you know, a lot of academic stuff. Um, there's a piece that's going through at the moment through a journal called MAI, which is not an Indigenous um, journal that's put out through Auckland University. Um, although I have, you know, this has been really inspiring for me 
um, to think about how else I can share information in a way that might resonate with people that doesn't necessarily have to be at that academic level. So I've been having a think about, yeah, maybe I should maybe get off my button, write something else. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's, you know, making um, the knowledge accessible, right? That's right. Because yeah. you've done all the research and you know all the knowledge, but it's it's putting um, that to use and making it accessible for everyone. And I think making it interesting, <laughs> you know, people, people aren't going to read anything unless they're interested in it. And actually there's a something percolating around in the back of my head around another another tucky another papapa that I think is um interesting to 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 think about and put into the com- I must say common vernacular which sounds really bad but you know into the mainstream stuff for people to be able to read about that maybe at the moment is a little bit um difficult to comprehend so yeah thanks kitty here's Todapa reading Our Tui Our Tui by Kitty Solomon Tui Prostamadera nova silandi, a songbird. Tui, to sew, to lash, to bind, to join. Tui has once again managed to stab herself, lose her thread, and drop her needle simultaneously. Paka, mutters Tui, sitting at the kitchen table, surprising herself by using the kiwaha correctly. Why she was named Tui in the first place is beyond her. She has always sucked at this sewing crap, in her whanau, Tui were known as the manu who heralded in, joined and sewed together te po and teata, whose cries called out in the space between the night and the morning, stitching the darkness into the dawn. Tui sighs. In this regard, and in this realm, she feels clumsy and not at all a reflection of her namesake. She is, however, delighted by the feeling of the new, colourful word in her mouth. It rolls around satisfyingly, and she lets herself feel just a wee touch of smugness. Not too much smugness, eh, Ma. She knows she has a long way to go on her rail journey, but just for now, she allows herself to feel ahua whakahihi. Tuia kirunga, join from above. Tui steps away from the hōha shirt, still missing its hōha button, and heads outside. She gazes up at the beautiful full moon and sighs. There's lots of energy around and not a lot of sleep required at the moment, which is a nice change for her. During these full moon phases, Tui can sometimes feel like she's back in her 20s, minus the hangovers, and some, in retrospect amazingly, stupid behaviour. Sometimes she feels wired and on edge, with a touch of anticipation, or maybe dread. But that's fleeting, and always there is a sense of immense joy and being alive and kicking, being here and now, joining the past to the present. Given that Tui has now well and truly entered the phase of managing Ruahine, she has a slightly different relationship with Hina, especially in these phases. She feels bound to Hina. Everything is more intense, which can be problematic for someone her age, an opportunity for others. Again, it's all about tirohanga and horopaki e hoa the moon hangs, watching in the sky during the kore-kore phases, and Tui can feel the energy dropping. The energy starts to ebb and recede more than it flows, heralding to everyone that a change is coming, so you'd better get prepared. Crap, thinks Tui as she steadies herself. Having just been on the receiving end of yet another diatribe about politics, 
And who is ever really in the mood for that kind of kōrero during these phases at Huama? She mentally hunkers down. She works hard on lashing herself to something solid, getting her shit sorted out as she can feel in her waters, given the ruahine stuff. It's going to be a doozy. Paka, she thinks, congratulating herself again for using the kiwaha in the right place and time. And here we go. Tuia Kiraro, join from below. The Tangaroa phases hit, echoing some of the pūrāko about the relationship between the brothers. It feels like Tangaroa is throwing everything energetically at his brother Tāne Mahuta. Although Tui totally gets this. Tāne's children do have a propensity to eat Tangaroa's offspring after all. On phases like these, Tui can literally feel the surging hihiri, and she attempts to harness it, lash it together energetically as best as she can. She deftly navigates her work issues. She helps her daughter with a budgeting problem and deals gently with her 18-year-old cat's incontinence. She sits again at her now sticky, what the hell, kitchen table, contemplating tangaroa. With these phases, she can sometimes feel like the tide drags at her, pulling her away from a really bloody hard one, state of calm, and this unsettles her. In her mind's eye, she sees herself untethered, being rolled over and then dumped by a wave in the wet, sticky sand, beached as the tide recedes. Having sat there for a while in all her sandy, itchy, irritated glory, she sighs and starts to focus on her ha, the source of life, her breath. Ha ki roto, ha ki waho. She pictures the beauty of a Northland coastline rich with different life cycles, the hihiri filling the space, and the tohu of Modi all around. Ha kiroto, ha kiwaho. Join it, bind it, sew it together. We are so lucky, she thinks. She sends out a karakia to ngātua. Please help us to not bugger this whole taiao stuff up. Some of us have tamariki, and maybe moko's coming too, who deserve a chance to appreciate this as well. Sighing, she brushes herself off, metaphorically of course. She's still sitting at a sticky table at Huama, and retreats back to her every day. Tuiaki waho, join from outside. Darkness and chaos, insecurities and an energy void, follow the tangaroa phases. Although this is fairly similar to some experiences of rua wahine, so Tui mentally shrugs. The fetal phase feels like a fickle friend, sometimes enveloping, supportive and comforting, and at other times demanding, suffocating and critical. This time around, Tui is not feeling secure or connected at all. Her clothes feel uncomfortable, her hair is, again, unmanageable, and quite frankly, she's decided that she's not leaving the haven of her home until this phase shifts. She sees no need to look for trouble or deal with the emotional stuff, although she usually loves engaging with that kaupapa, so she deliberately chooses to keep a low profile. She stays at home, surrounded by her whanau, but not getting involved with emotionally focused kōrero, kia pato, and wakes early to observe the tohu and the changing sky. As she watches, the darkness of Firo is pierced 
by the Korihi Ongatui, sewn together in the pre-dawn light. Kawata Maudiora. Tuiakiroto, join from within. The Ouenuku phase comes and bleeds colour and light into everything that was drab and grey over the past few marama. Tui welcomes this one, actively binds it to her, knowing that the rainbow is one of her kaitiaki, heralding good and sometimes not so good news. Ouenuku provides joy and colour to those who might not otherwise notice the light refracting and reflecting through the rain. She remembers driving to her koro's tangi years ago down on the east coast. For the last few kilometres of the journey, two rainbows appeared in the paddocks alongside the road accompanying the whānau to the marae. This was seen as a tohu that her tipuna agreed with the decision to bury her koro there on the east cape, far away from his beginnings in the far north. As additional insurance though, Tui's whānau also conducted a kawemate up to his ancestral marae, as ehikama, we don't piss off the tipuna, tuia ki te here tangata, all of us bound together. The tamatea phases bring a sudden upward shift in energy, and Tui, feeling this, winces. Sometimes these phases knock her around a bit, ehuama. When this happens, unless she has lashed herself to something substantial, she loses her footing stumbles and ends up on her ass, filled with anxiety. So, she hunkers down, again, she's very good at it now, binding herself to Papatu Anuku and accepts that there is a chance of both puanga and tiko hitting the proverbial fan. And then she waits, hoping that not too much of either gets thrown in her direction. If it does, she knows that the best thing for her wairua Hihiri is to haki roto, haki waho, and of course, have a wash. Tiko stinks. So, when she must do a presentation and the computer is acting hianga, haki roto, haki waho. When she has to travel on a plane and didn't realise that her flight coincided with the first hectic, busy, loud day of school holidays, haki roto, haki waho. Join it, bind it sew it together, and of course, take some stress rongwa. Tui never leaves home without it, ehua ma. Karongo te po, karongo te ao. Perceive the day and the night. And so time moves on, and the days circle back to the full moon phases. Oturu, rako nui, and rako matohi. This turning of the moon, the phases, the stars, the seasons, and the energies repeat Mairano. This is life, and there are always things that need to be attended to, observed, or sorted out. Mind you, the things that need to be done have changed a bit over the past few hundred or so years, and our maramataka reflects this. Tui has just recently learned that there are over 500 distinct maramataka across the country, and this blows her mind. Incredulous and amazed, she tells everyone who will listen that our tūpuna were scientists, astronomers, skilled navigators, healers, storytellers, and expert gardeners. She is determined to share the enormity and the scope of mātauranga Māori cultivated by her, our, ancestors, and in doing so, bind us together 
unite us all on our journey and help to illuminate the way forward. As an aside, Ahuama, Tui has given it a red hot go, but gardening isn't really her thing. Her tāne loves it though, so their recent conversations have started to revolve around ngā kaupeka, the best moon phases for planting, ngā whetū, and why do you think you can tell me what to plant when you don't even help kare? Haumie, huie, united we move forward together. And so Tui smiles, or tries to. Her tāne sometimes says it looks like she's eating tiko. Dusts herself off, and sets off again determined to live in a life sewn together with aroha, joy and whānau. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but Tui embraces the hononga between her hihiri and hina. She works hard to stitch her existing knowledge together to other mātauranga, understand the tohu and embrace the heads up about what may be coming. Tui joins, binds, sews all the mātauranga she has accumulated so far on her life journey together, and listens. Tauke. Maybe our tui isn't too bad at this sewing mahi after all, Ehoama. Through pausing and observing, noticing and listening, tui senses a waiata which feels uniquely hers. This song is a karere, validating her potential in this world and reinforcing her innate and inherited power in choosing how she shows up her mana motuhake. And this waiata resonates, because if there's one thing her university education has taught her at Huama, it's that she has the power to manage herself, even through the ruahine stage. Mostly. Although some help from rongoa, assorted vitamins and various nutritional powders have also certainly been very helpful for everyone in her life. And so we find our tui back at her sparkling clean kitchen table. Feeling quite chuffed with herself about this introspective moment, this reflection and whakaaro. She notes the phrase mana motuhake in her rātaka reo. She's still relearning her reo, reawakening this part of her brain in wairua, and so she works hard to find kupu that she can use in her everyday life. During the last turning of the moon, she discovered the kiwaha paka, so she's pretty sure she can use the phrase mana motuhake correctly in the upcoming marmataka, especially when it comes to those bloody tamatea phases. Taikie. It is done. You've been listening to Our Tui by Kitty Solomon on the Short Read Podcast. The story was read by Taurapa, edited by Connor Scott, and produced by me, Jen Black. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe to hear more stunning stories by up-and-coming New Zealand writers, or head to www.staff.co.nz forward slash the short read. Kakite. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.